0: Well, friends, I'm sure at home you've got a whole collection of coffee mugs and mugs that you make drinks in. And some of them have got pretty patterns all around, and some of them have got jokey slogans. One I read about the other day not only made me laugh, it made me think. Jesus is coming. Get busy. (coughs) Or rather, look busy. Look busy. Now, today is Advent Sunday, and we are looking forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as a baby in Bethlehem and at the end of time when he blows that final whistle. Well, now, that gives an edge, doesn't it, to our discipleship? The fact that the Lord Jesus has promised to return. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Busy about doing what? I love the story of the uh, Franciscan friar. This actually happened. Who was standing one day in his brown habit on the tube station platform and a little distance away were a group of teenagers who thought he looked absolutely ridiculous. And so one of them called out, what are you supposed to be? And he immediately replied, I am supposed to be polite. What are you supposed to be? <laughs> so, what are we supposed to be? Well, we're supposed to be busy. Jesus is going, look, busy. Yes, busy about doing what? Because, you see, one of the dangers of a local church is that we will be so busy keeping things going, doing things, stuff, as they say these days, that we forget the real reason why we do this stuff. Why do we make such an effort in our outreach on Tuesday evening at Village Night? Why do we invite so many people to our Christmas services? Why do we go to such a a length to advertise our alpha course and invite people to find out about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? What's the point of it all? Well now, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus shows the heart of what he was all about. And if we want to understand, find out about what we're supposed to do, it seems to me his example is the best one to follow. And there are three parables in Luke chapter 15. They've obviously obviously been put together to make the same point, to ram the same thing home. As someone once said in a theological college in the deep south of the United States, first you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Good principle for a sermon, that. Three parables. First of all, the parable about a lost sheep, then a parable about a lost coin, then a parable about a lost son. And when the Pharisees and teachers of the law saw that the the Lord Jesus was relating to riffraff, as they identified them, that was their idea of the people outside the special inner Jewish community... When they saw him doing that, they criticized him. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, yes, because that is his heart. And those three parables show us one incredibly kind of gripping characteristic about God. The fact that he has a burning, unquenchable desire to seek the lost and an utter determination to bring them home. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. He's always looking for the lost. Now, are we always looking for the lost? One of the dangers of a local church family like ours is that we will create it and sustain it for ourselves. And as I've quoted so many times before, William Temple's wonderful words, the church is the only society which exists exclusively for the benefit of those who are not its members. So it seems to me we've got to learn to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in his tremendously seeking, searching example. But, of course, sometimes it can get very, very discouraging. And sharing the Christian faith can get very discouraging. And living the Christian life can get very discouraging. How do we cope with discouragement? Do you know the first two laws of sowing and reaping? The first two unchangeable laws of sowing and reaping? If you don't sow, you will never reap. But if you do sow... You will always reap. It may not be a wonderful harvest, but if you sow, you will reap. But if you don't sow, you won't reap. And so what we've got to do is to, as Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, two of my favorite verses in the New Testament says, cast not away your confidence. It has great recompense of reward. You need to persevere, for after you have done the will of God, You will receive what he has promised. Yes, you will. Only don't give up. That's the one thing we mustn't do. Give up. And, of course, sometimes we're tempted to give up, aren't we? I have a a favorite paperback. It's out of print, unfortunately, now. It has a wonderful title. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional, so stick a geranium in your hat and be happy. It comes from the United States, as you probably guessed, and uh, it's by a wonderful, wonderful American lady called Barbara Johnson. And it's the story of how she coped with tragedies in her life, the first of which happened when her husband Bill suffered a set of seizures which damaged his cranial nerves, robbing him of sight and memory. Now she had four sons. Great. Wonderful experience to bring up four sons, yes. But Stephen, the eldest, was called up to fight in Vietnam, and he was killed in action. Tim, the next youngest, went on a trip to Alaska with a friend, but on their way, their car was hit by a truck, and they were both killed. And then Larry, her third youngest, graduated from college, and one day... She was cleaning his room, and she found a box under his bed. And her curiosity overcame her. And she found it was full of homosexual pornography. Well, she didn't know how to deal with this, and when she confronted Larry, there was an almighty row. This is what she writes: "I found Larry in the living room, and we stood there toe to toe. It quickly escalated into a full-scale confrontation." I was sobbing bitterly and quoting Bible verses. He began to cry too. I became hysterical and could hardly make sense. Larry was exploding with anger. I couldn't bear his accusations and his obscenities. And in a moment of anger, my hand shot forward and I slapped his face hard. He grabbed me by my shoulders, pushed me with full force against the grandfather clock. It was unbelievable. Well, things went from bad to worse. And Eventually, Larry left home, moved in with his boyfriend, changed his name, and disowned his family. Barbara's final telephone conversation with Larry ended like this. Larry, homosexuality is not God's best for anyone, and I want God's best for you. I can't change your life. But there are two things I can do for you. Love you and pray for you. And until they close the casket on my head and put a lily in my hand, I'm going to do just that. Just remember, we love you unconditionally. And son, remember this too. The porch light is always on for you. And it's that last phrase, the porch light is always on, which struck me with greatest force. Well, in the fullness of time, friends, her prayers were answered. And Larry came home. And he recommitted his life to Christ. And not only that, he brought his boyfriend to the evangelistic meeting, and that young man found Christian faith too. I don't know what happened to their relationship after that. But I do know that both of them made a decision to make Christ the most important and significant person in their lives. Now, all that was a long way down the line. But all the time, all through the days, the weeks, the months, the years of anxiety and silence, that silence, that porch light was still burning and it was burning in Barbara Johnson's heart as well. May only have been a pale reflection of the love of God in, 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 uh, in Barbara's heart, but it was there and it never went out. Now, how do we feel for people who are lost? <clears throat> are we really as concerned about them as Jesus was? He is. Jesus is coming. Look, busy. We've got some wonderful opportunities to be busy over the next few weeks and months. We've got village night, And if you're around, just come along and make sure people are welcome. Show them where the loos are. Invite them to sit down. I don't know whether there will be any mince pies flying around on the... Tuesday evening? Uh, Will there be? Do you know? There will be! If people know that they're welcome here, it will make such a difference. And then, of course, we've got the Christmas services, the crib service, perhaps crucially, and then we've got the outfit. In former President Jimmy Carter's book Living Faith, he tells the story of something that happened to Tony Campolo, who's an American evangelist, and this sums up what I've been trying to say this morning. Tony Campolo was visiting an all-night diner in Hawaii after suffering from jet lag and unable to sleep, asleep. And from his booth, he heard a conversation among several women who were obviously prostitutes. And one of them said that the next day would be her 39th birthday. And then she sadly confessed that never in her life had she ever had a birthday party. And so Tony secretly arranged with with the manager of the the diner to throw a surprise party for this lady. And the next night, she and her friends were stunned and thrilled. And Tony led the group in prayer. Later, the manager of the diner asked Tony a somewhat incredulous question. Say, what kind of church do you belong to? To which Tony replied, I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) And Jimmy Carter comments, That was Jesus' kind of church. And I think I agree with him. We're not into birthday parties for prostitutes, at least not at this precise point in our church program. If the need should arise, I'm sure we'll give it favorable consideration. But for now, let's concentrate on getting busy with the Alpha course. And one more thing, dear friends, one more thing. If all I've been saying this morning produces in your heart and mind Oh, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I've been doing it for so long and I've had such discouragement and heartbreak. The Lord Jesus Christ feels your heartbreak and he shares it. Give it to him. Let him carry it. He'll see you through. Amen.